0: Hey, Michael here. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the newly rebranded Michael Girdley Show. Uh, John Wilson joined me today for episode number 30 on this particular feed. So talked about a lot of really cool stuff. This was a great conversation. Uh, talked about the Hold Co. conference that they're putting on in Cleveland, uh, something I would be going to, but I have a family conflict. Uh, talked about different stuff around social media, uh, joining country clubs, the prospect of buying a restaurant, medical spas, uh, Akron, Ohio and San Antonio, Texas so um, lots of really cool stuff in this one uh, learned a lot from John he's got a ton of energy and I think you'll like it as much as I did uh, so man I wanted to start with talking about the uh, Holdco Conf which by the way I'm glad that I practiced it like <laughs> you nailed the, during, it like that was during perfect. the intro because I can now pronounce it so so you guys are putting this on like tell tell me what it is yeah okay so Kelsey and
1: I we've been doing like the conference circuit Right. Just sort of going to all these different things. Um, and each one has its own vibe, but each one we felt like was missing the, the multi business ownership characteristic. Mm-hmm. And it, that can look obviously a lot of different ways. It can look like a roll up, it can look like, a, like I, I know I have a few friends that own like 15 of the same franchise. Right. So that's yeah. very niche. And then obviously, like you'd be a great example on the total opposite spectrum of a very decentralized uh, hold co. So lots of different types, but all these different conferences we were going to, it was either people just in small business with one or people managing, you know, like a billion dollar fund. And there there wasn't really a middle ground. Uh, So we thought that we've started a couple of group chats with other guys that buy, buy businesses, own multiple things, and we all seem to have about the same problems, which I thought was really interesting. Um. Yeah, so like what are what are those common problems? Most of its leadership, uh like a lot of us are in the same zone, like that twenty to fifty million revenue uh zone. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to hire presidents for companies. Oftentimes this is the first president we've ever hired. Um we're trying to find financing. That's been a really big one in this size is you're you sort of graduate from SBA then what before you can get conventional uh, financing because banks don't seem to want to touch you for a little while uh trying to think what the other issues we have are scaling hr you know if you're scaling a company you're scaling your people um so what does that look like how how do you go from 100 to 500 employees and what does the teams have to look like and and when you add layers of leadership what does that have to look like so it's been a lot of common challenges and we've been going i've been a part of these group chats for like a year and it's like well why don't we just get even more people involved um, have them all out and have smart people tell us how to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, take so the, a, take a conference, was born. <laughs> conference was and born. The, yeah.
0: So, yeah. are you guys trying to make money on this conference, or is it one of those like first priorities? We're gonna like we're we're gonna like learn some stuff and have fun, and then if we break even or make money, we're cool with it. Or is it like, are you guys trying to do this as like a real business, like make money? Well, we're definitely trying to make money. <laughs> So there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at
1: all. Yeah. So I think the model lends itself to making money. Like I don't know how big, and by big I mean number of attendees, uh, a HoldCo conference could ever get. Uh, It's it's probably not the thing where you're going to cross, you know, a thousand attendees. So I I think if you create this niche experience where you bring in really smart people and talk about interesting stuff and you charge a premium for it, then you can make money and and learn yeah. from it but yeah we, yeah we hope this becomes an annual thing that uh makes us makes us a couple bucks so we've we sold 50 percent of the available seats in the first 30 days which that's awesome to, to me is crazy like the other folks that, you know we've talked to moses kagan we've talked to some of the capital camp folks we've talked to uh the guys who put on sm bash and they said to expect usually around one third of total tickets sold in the first month but us selling half was like all right like this is
0: this is real we can potentially do something interesting here so are you running it are you doing all like the the logistics and stuff like that are you doing it internally and it to me i think there's like there's like the logistics logistics and then the business building aspect of it so like the logistics are like venue selection mm. av coordination speaker coordination all that stuff and then, then there's like the second part, which is like the vin, uh, the second part of it, which is like the, you know, the sponsorship generation, mm-hmm. like the strategy aspects of it, uh, you know, the uh, the stuff that you get in kind and all that stuff. So I kind of think about those as the two different like things you can outsource putting it together. Are, are you, which of those are you guys like partnering with vendors on and are you just trying to do yourself? Yeah. So we've, I think we've looked at it. You're probably right
1: with the way you're looking at it, but we've looked at it at th- as three buckets. So oh, cool. oh, who was I just talking to about this? That was really like a lot smarter than I am. Oh, Lucas. You might know this guy, Lucas Lopatin. Mm-mm. He's running a startup incubator. Uh, you should look him up on Twitter. He, he, his whole thing is he's doing like sort of what you're doing, but in Spanish in Latin America, specifically in Spanish. Like his whole thing is everything he writes is in Spanish because there's not a lot of content created for it. Anyway, yeah. so, so he and I were talking about this, um, and so I'm, I'm basically handling the growth side, the sales side, the sponsorships, uh, all the pre-stuff. Kelsey is handling the content inside the, um, the event, so that's going to be arranging speakers, arranging topics, um, arranging events, that type of thing. And then the actual, yeah. I guess I'm going to go with consumer-facing what hotels you were staying in? What venue were you staying in? Who's serving food? We brought in an outside party to plan that. Just because it it that's a lot. That's a lot of details. Yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like that sounds like a nightmare.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw the ladies that the SM Bash guys had. Um, yeah. Putting that all together and coordinating that, and it was amazing to watch them because, like, they were so kind and super nice, and everything was super mm-hmm. well put together in the venue. And um, for those of you who don't know, Essay Bash was like a small business like Twitter conference yeah, it was awesome. in Orlando. And uh, you know what was amazing to me was watching those ladies have so much fun doing all those tasks that I was oh, yeah. like, oh my God. Like I, could, I know. I can't imagine like <laughs> like doing what they're doing and enjoying it. Like it seemed like such a drudgery and they're like, this is so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. they're getting a kick out of it. And I
1: mean they're they're like perfect. They're per- so it's the same team. Um Oh, you're using them. Okay. Yeah, uh, so right after SM Bash, we asked the guys we are like, "Hey, we want to do a conference. Do you know anybody?" And they they're on Brandon's team, so it's Sage and Lydia, and they just launched yeah. their own company. It's called Stellar Happenings. Um okay. so they this is what they're doing now. Uh, I assume on the side, I think they're still working for Brandon. Um But yeah, the SM Bash guys were generous enough to sort of link us up, and yeah, we brought them on. But yeah, exactly that. They have fun <laughs> picking out food, <laughs> which like yeah. sounds
0: like a nightmare to me. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they were like, check out this barbecue. Do you know how many places we checked out? I was like, no, don't tell me. It sounds terrible. Oh, uh, venues too. They went through like 50 venues in 30 hours
1: to cuz we they just did this last weekend they flew in yeah. and it was like every 45 minutes they were at a new venue and i'm like y'all this is wild like you guys are
0: hustling it's the cutest thing too if you follow them on twitter or i think it's on instagram too Mm-mm. it's like two millennials like flying around like f- taking Party pictures planning. of themselves like on scooters and stuff <laughs> yeah. it's just like the most millennial thing ever and it's oh, like, yeah. it's a hardcore gen xer of like oh my god Uh, it's pretty funny yeah it's Um, pretty good so I mean one thing I'm curious about this kind of conference idea and like Cody Sanchez does a conference SM Bash guys do a conference like everybody that talks about it and maybe Cody's in a different bucket um, but you know there's kind of this like opportunity cost idea right where it's like and you know, I think Cody's charging enough to make a lot of money, I guess the capital camp guys are making good money at least at least my nine thousand dollar charge on my credit card thinks so um uh, but same. Like, yeah, are oh, you gonna be there? Yeah, I went last year. You didn't go last year, okay. right now that was during my why do I go to live events phase? yeah, <laughs> I yeah. <got> over it. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I'm totally gonna be there i'm I'm looking forward to seeing you <laughs>
0: uh yes, I will be there. I'm excited um but um. Like, how do you think about like the opportunity cost of doing one? And that's all of my kind of, I think it, I think those types of things are interesting, but you're, you know, you're talking about it like it's not going to be a big money maker relative to your day job. Like that's potentially like time you could be spending buying another company. Right. Um, yeah. So what's, what's the calculus for, for you? It's a good uh, question. So
1: I think in general, I'm going to go back to monetizing an audience. Mm -hmm. there's only so many ways to monetize an audience and half of them sort of gross me out. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do it. Which
0: are the gross ones? Which are the gross ones?
1: I don't really want to go full bore on a course. Um, I like, I think one or two value add things are great, but I don't want to become like, I don't want to go to an event like capital camp and be the guy that sells courses. Like, that's not really the vibe that I want to be known for. um, Works for, works well for other people, but I don't, I don't yeah. think that'd be my thing. So I think there's some things that are generally seen as, um, non reputation damaging because, of it's course, like, like some, whether or not you like it, courses obviously make a lot of money, but you become a person that sells courses. And I think that it can damage the, the personal brand that you're trying to build. So that's why I've always steered away from it, but books, Conferences and maybe some version of other live events. I'm sure there's a few others. There's other ways to monetize that don't damage the personal brand. So that was one of yeah. the reasons uh, an event was attractive to me was I thought not not even damaging it. It might even help build it and help make us more of an authority on the hold code topic, yeah. which I think <laughs> I think will be ultimately
0: valuable outside of just you know uh, um, an event that makes money. So this is what I struggle with, and you just kind of talked about the dichotomy, right? So writing a book and selling it is okay. Like, I think you and I are, I'm, and I'm trying to discover why I feel emotionally the way I feel emotionally. Like, I find a lot of self-insight when I'm just, like, trying to figure out, like, why do I feel that way about something? Because a lot of times it's your subconscious telling you something. So writing a book is okay, but you just expressed feeling the same way kind of about courses that I do. Like, oh, I'm not a course guy. Yeah. And like, I mean, courses like, are in trying- theory
1: more efficient. Like, yeah. take way less, you know, a book, someone might take five hours. A course you could do in like 45 minutes.
0: Like, I, yeah. yeah, I agree. So, why, why do we feel that way? I don't, is it, is it because of the nature of the people that have gone into courses in the past? I, I mean, I can't figure it out. I think so. I, I know why I feel the way I do. So, one of them is a very
1: specific tweet <laughs> that Moses Kagan did once. I, Someone brought up selling a course and he yeah. gave, and I respect Moses a lot. I think he's like, he represents himself well. He, I, I think he's a good guy. And, and he said, it was like, books are harmless. Courses gross me out. And I'm like, I'm locking that one yeah. away. I, w- I would like to be respected by Moses one day. Right. <laughs> so um, why, I, what's the, why is there a dichotomy there? Well, is I think it it's the, I think it's the way they get marketed. I think, yeah. um, I think that's the whole thing. I don't know. If you look at people that uh that courses become the main bag, I think you lose some credibility. Like Cody is probably a baller. Like she probably like built everything that she says she built, but because she sells courses, there are a ton of people who I know that don't believe that she's done any of what she said she's done. Because right. now of course it's like the Rich Dad Poor Dad thing. Like, did you really do it or did you make most of your money selling the the thing talking about what you might have done or might not have done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I well, think you I mean, lose credibility. Dad, dad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well yeah I mean, I mean so he he went
1: off the rocker. I mean that's a little bit
0: that's a little bit different. <laughs> um yeah I mean the Cody thing is tough because um I've she's coming on a podcast with us in the future. But like You know, I feel for her because I have seen firsthand the way women get treated on the internet, especially on male-dominated platforms. So, like, I wonder how much of that kind of juvenile behavior that gets pointed at her is because she's a, you know, a a good-looking younger woman. Like, good luck getting respect, right? Like, Yeah, she's got the deck stacked. She has the deck stacked for sure. so, So many neckbeards there and <laughs> um, and kudos to her for just like muting the haters. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like I think it's pretty good. Uh meanwhile, I take a deep breath and write nice things to them and then then yeah. it, whatever. Um but yeah. So yeah, I maybe and it's what you're saying. It just comes down to the way they're sold. That's why it feels yucky. Yeah, if I could come up with a way like the course model is sweet. So, yeah.
1: I hold um hold CoConf is 29.95. Uh, a ticket for the early bird right and it was probably the coolest month of my life getting random notifications throughout the day that a three thousand dollar ticket just sold so i'm sitting here like holy shit like what else could we possibly do that looks anything like this and the easiest answer is oh my god you just go like create and sell a course so i don't know how to market it to make it um I guess I'm not opposed to the course. It's a, I'm opposed to having to market myself in the way that other course makers market themselves. I don't want to do
0: that. Yeah. Well, they're always shilling their course. Like that. It feels like they're, it feels like you're, you're on Twitter and you succeed on Twitter by being your real self and bringing your Mm. whole self. Um, and that's that's something, first of all, most people in my generation just have a horrible time getting their head around. Like the number of times I talk to other 47-year-olds and they're like, I can't believe you say those things on the internet. I'm like, just get over it, man. Like, the, you, got to, you got to wake yeah, up a yeah. um But like, so it becomes like this demeaning thing almost. If you're just like shilling your stuff directly at the end of every thread, you're like, hey, sign up for my you know $500 mm. course and download it. You know, and you have to do that if you're going to convert. Like, there's just no other options, right? Um, and and maybe that's just that's just the yucky part about it. And then you,
1: well, I think Nick's done a good job, um, because he dropped his course and it was very successful. I think in the first couple of days, that was a year ago. Yeah, he right? has
0: two, he has three now. I think three courses. Yeah.
1: Well, I think he does a good job because, frankly, I almost never hear about his courses. Which is great because yeah. I don't want to hear about his courses. The so, algo is
0: pretty the the Twitter algo is pretty good about hiding them from us, by the way. Okay. Like okay. I've, I've gone through his page. I'm like, oh here's he's talking about his course. And oh I think okay. Twitter knows I don't like the word course, so it doesn't show them to me.
1: Yeah. I mean that that must be it. But like, yeah, he he's had some success with it and I almost never hear about it versus other people yeah. I have to hear
0: about it way too much. And he's also, I I like the way he's selling them too. Like he did a webinar like the other day where he's like, "Look, I'm going to just come on and I'm going to give you a taste of what my course is like, and it's going to be free. Ask any questions you want, and then that'll mm-hmm. be it." And I thought, I thought that was a cool way of selling them to one where I'd be like, "Okay, like this is cool." Yeah. Um. There's the second part also, which is comes back to this opportunity cost question, right? Like, at what point does translating your feed from something. That is, you know, totally pure, like not trying to sell things to your audience into one where you sell this one thing. At what point does that cost you more than just the serendipity and like overall like karma of the universe paying you back? And like, you know, I've looked at the economics, and I'm like, well, you know, that's like that's you know, Tesla money if you do it, like a mm-hmm. year. Um, but at the same time, like, how much does it cost me if I go down that path? And frankly, the other part, like, I just like the pros. I've written books before, and like, like frankly, like I when I was doing the books back in the early two thousands, I would type so much that I had to get on uh, anti inflammatories to keep my wrists. Oh um, wow, wrists from having problems because I would go. Well, here's here's basically my job in two thousand. I was the only product manager for like a three hundred million dollar product. So that means Mm -hmm. I was supporting like two thousand salespeople by myself, and so I would write like. 2,500 to 3,000 emails a month. Like That's all I did all day was answer people's questions. And then I would go home at night and I would work on writing a book. And like my wrist started to hurt so much from tendonitis that I had to get, uh, I had to get uh, drugs yeah. to um, cut down on the anti-inflammatories. And I'm 24. Like I don't know. Um, anyway, it turned out I was taking Viox, which is like an ADHD and anti-inflammatory medicine, and also is no longer sold because it was killing people. So, okay. so, the only way I got through like writing a book was like taking this is the this is the point of my story. The only way I got through writing a book was because I was basically taking drugs to where I was mentally deranged enough to be able to focus uninterrupted mm-hmm. for three or four hours, writing paragraph after paragraph of stuff out of my brain. and um anyway, that's that's the other part. Like I just don't the prospect of sitting down and focusing on one thing for that long period of time, like I envy the people that can do it but uh at this point in life it just doesn't seem like fun like it just it's just like horrible it's a <laughs> lot. horrible way to spend a couple of months
1: i think I-, I liked the live event thing um i don't know why i like that better than a course cuz in s- in some ways it looks pretty similar but um yeah. there's some folks that i know that take that model into uh what do they call masterminds so that could yeah. be a way to do it it would still be live in person so it is. It is literally more inconvenient because you have to physically get together. Uh, but for some reason, that like get together makes more sense to me. I don't know. That'd be that'd be something.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's that does not feel yucky at all. Is that feel? Yeah. All? all right. We, so I want to sw- switch topics a little bit. Unless you want to keep talking about hold co conf. I'm good. Let's do it. Divvy it all up. Right. All right, so you talked about, you went out and asked on Twitter yesterday, how many people are members of a country club? Oh my God, that blew, that freaking blew
1: up. (laughs) Why were you asking about that? Actually, hold on. Yeah, I'm going to answer this. But first, are you a member of a country club?
0: Uh, No. Okay, why not? Uh, None of the activities there are really fun to me. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't play golf, I don't play tennis, I don't like going to bars. Um, you know, I don't like going to big, I don't like cocktail parties. It's like everything that they do is, um, uh, is the opposite of things, activities that I find enjoyable. Like, um, so I don't, I don't join one.
1: That That's a good reason. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm not a participant, uh, either. Yeah. So, so what happened was I, so our country, our local country clubs, there's like three or four and they're like the, the full thing, you know, golf tennis, the whole, the whole whammy. And, uh, I have never, I got married at one of them, but besides that and like prom, but besides that, I've never gone to a country club. There's almost no reason to like, like you, that, uh, this is not really the stuff I do. And I've always assumed that it was primarily a boomer activity. Like they have not, Mm -hmm. the average age I think you're a junior member if you're under fifty. Like it, it's kind of crazy uh, at some of these, um, which I would imagine like young kids and all that stuff. You'd think that you know,
0: yeah. So
1: okay, so I'm I'm
0: like as, okay as the second as the second oldest person that I work with. I think this is great.
1: Sounds <laughs> <That was> great. <laughs> yeah, you have to be a junior member. You're a junior member. You even get to pay less in fees. So uh, so I was like, yeah, okay. This this probably isn't a thing. You know, I'm like thirty. Um so probably not my bag. I'll check back in 20 years. Uh so I get invited to a lunch in a week or two by a yeah. guy who's like 33 and he invites me to lunch at one of the local country clubs and I'm like well hold on. And and he's doing interesting shit. Like so that that's the other part. The one thing I always wondered about country clubs is do people actually do interesting stuff there like are they are they doing deals or like, where locally can I talk to other people buying companies? Because I I know people all around the states now buying companies. I know yeah. like three people in Akron.
0: <laughs> um, well, it it's do you consider day drinking to be an interesting activity? That's uh, the...
1: <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not not particularly. <laughs> but I get invited to this lunch at this country club, and the guy's like 33, and I'm like, oh my god! Yeah. All right, apparently, young people in Akron are who are doing deals like he's buying companies he's rolling up manufacturing all around the states really interesting guy um so i was like shit i mean maybe like maybe i'm sleeping on country clubs i I don't know like what am i missing so i threw out the question and the response was hilarious i mean we got like 200 responses on that a lot of them were entertaining like most of i would say half of the ones that said no i don't belong they made some general some generalizing comments (laughs) about the attitudes of country clubs so that was kind of funny just like clearly the bad reputation that country clubs have um and then nearly all of the yeses like to play golf which yeah i guess that makes sense but i've honestly i've always thought of country clubs as like a social thing not like a golf
0: thing right so yeah I think the version of the country club which which I have we don't have here in San Francisco. It's just not the population for it. But I would love a very expensive like version of Soho House where like only people that do cool shit. Yeah. Um, like I would definitely sign up for that because that's an activity I like. You wanna know what I like to do? Sit around and talk about interesting stuff. Well, yeah, like interesting people are gonna do that. So I would do that. But also if there was a country club that like did the five or six activities that I really like. Like, and unfortunately, country clubs like have none of those. What, like, what are I those like, activities? Um, uh, road cycling, mountain biking, crossfitting, yoga, hiking, skiing, and business. That's what things I like to do. And evidently, write shit on Twitter. That's my job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, um so someone I don't else, have to join a club to do any of those things. So
1: Reg brought up uh, Soho House. In basically the same response, he's like, "Yeah, I wish. I wish we had this here. I, I honestly never heard of it. You know, <laughs> Little Town, Akron. It's never crossed my yeah. radar. Um, but I agree. Like, it looks. It looks dope. And now I just, I, I almost want to do a little bit of what you've done. You call it the Baller Office, right? So I, mm-hmm. I sort of want to do a Baller Office slash City Club thing here because there are other apparently there's other young people doing deals, doing interesting stuff." In Akron and yeah. Cleveland. And uh, I just want to get to know them. Because, yeah. again, I know people all over the country doing interesting stuff, but it feels very weird that I don't know hardly anyone doing deals in Northeast Ohio. There's a lot of them. Yeah. I just don't know them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's interesting that you say that there's a lot of them because, I mean, I, I feel like realistically the further you get outside of the major metros, yeah. the lower that absolute number of people gets. And then... Sure the The smaller their percentage gets. I mean, just reality, you know, like Youngstown, the town near you, where my wife grew up. Like, there's a few people doing stuff, but not not at the same ratio as Boston no. or San Francisco. And I think San Antonio is that way too. There's some people doing interesting stuff here, and I'm, but the ratio is so low that mm. I'm still kind of surprised when somebody's like, "I'm doing something really interesting." And I'm like, "Oh, really? Like, <laughs> kind of shocked." Where? <laughs> like, where are you guys here? <laughs> yeah. So I, maybe this ties into your idea of what you really don't want as a country club. You really want like, and your idea of a restaurant, like you, cause you're asking, like you want to buy a restaurant. Yeah. It's almost like you almost exact, want like this yeah. Soho house for ballers. That's what you want. Yeah. I, I do. And I pitched this idea to a friend. Oh, anyway, <laughs> I pitched, I pitched doing this exact idea to a buddy and he's like, why would I do that? I was like, cause it's awesome. Like, like we <laughs> should totally have this. I'll join. You know, it's like, you know, like a smoking lounge where there's no smoking and then there's an open bar and like people can go there, right? And it's, yeah. And then you could have offices in the back. This is what you need to make.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I think so too. We, we have, um, so one of my businesses is moving and I own the property that we're moving out of. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting here like, I think I'm going to build a baller office and I think I'm going to add some cool shit to it because I want to go somewhere and just like hang out. Yeah. I want to own it because I like to own stuff and uh, I want to meet, you know, other people doing cool stuff.
0: Are you going to serve food and liquor and stuff?
1: I I think so. I don't know about food, but I, (laughs) I think liquor or maybe like soft foods, like whatever. I don't need a full kitchen for.
0: Right. Okay. I like the idea. You should totally do it. Is your office in a cool place or no? No, that's the, that is the biggest downside. (laughs) It's so it's
1: in, um, so this is, how do I want to put this? We're like a thousand feet away from a cool place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not very big. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm deciding how to handle that part. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, uh, uh I, I reread your, your baller office thing the other day. And, and like, I was like, oh my gosh, I have all these things. And then the, the, the last one was like, make sure it's in a cool spot. I'm like, shit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every time I tell people where we have it, they're like, that is amazing. That's great. Cause you can like, you can walk out of the office, you can do a a call on, you know, walking through the park. There's, I have a picture, there's a little tiny miniature train that like goes in front of the office. Like that, all that stuff just makes a huge, a huge difference to people being compelled to want to be there. And then the icing on the cake is just like, oh, this is like a hand picked group of people that I can be exclusively part of. Like all that together is that kind of flywheel of making the thing successful. How, how'd you fill it? Just went and went on Twitter, said, Hey, we have spaces. We filled two spaces that way. Um, went and talked to friends, you know, cause invariably we know people that are looking or interested in something like that. And we're just like, Hey, you know, are you interested? Hmm. And that's how it just has been a hundred percent occupied the whole time. And it, it's, it's like,
1: co-working style, right? Like you can rent an office, there's no lease month to month or is it longer
0: term? Yeah, so the way we have it structured, so we don't own the property. When we went out to go look at properties, like buying one was like absurdly expensive. And then, you know, we realized we could rent one and run an experiment there really easily. So we rent, we rented the space. It actually had 5 offices. And then two like open cubicles. So we negotiate the land negotiated with the landlord to turn it into seven offices total. So took the two cubicles and then closed them. And those are like interior offices with no windows. So you rent an entire office for the month and it's month to month. And then my partner Mike and I are the master lessees. So we take all the vacancy risk and then everybody just gives us thirty days' notice if they're gonna leave. And um, yeah. you know, they pay us and we pay rent too to um to cover everything. So we treat ourselves both as tenants and sub landlords, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I'm pretty into
0: that. Like how much does it gross a month? Um, We end up rent, let's say just round numbers, rent and costs are like six grand. And then um, on top of that is like, we're with our own rent. We're at like 7,200 or so. It's a, do you you make money off of it? Uh, we lost money last year. Hopefully we'll make that up this year. Mm-hmm. So it's in kind of bucket two of ventures, which is the benefits of this are non-monetary. So, but my goal is not to lose money. Yeah. So that's where we're at on the whole thing. So, um, with the excess coming through, you know, the other thing we do is, you know, you want that flywheel of the space being so awesome that great people come in and are willing to pay market rent. And then that flywheel keeps going. And, um, so like whenever somebody asks for something, we're just like, oh, you want like a $500 coffee machine? Like we, you want a water purifier for the water Mm -hmm. for the coffee machine? You want a like $75 a month coffee subscription for the office? By the way, our coffee is awesome. Um, like we just do it. So we just make the space better and plow the money back in. But the goal is not to lose money. I think that's, that's, that's a good goal to have.
1: Yeah, it's a good goal. So I'm going to ask you the same question you asked me about the conference. This is a small activity like it's it's an interesting activity, but it's yeah. a small one so how do you how do you think about opportunity costs when you're working on small projects like that?
0: yeah well, I think people i think there th- there's two things people underestimate the ancillary kind of value of things like the second order effects, so like the network you're going to get from something like that like people underestimate like how much that helps, or the street cred that you're going to get from having that platform, or the street random cred? Word. Yeah, did I sound very boomer there? Sorry. Uh,
1: no, no, I loved uh, it. I was like, yeah, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, it's it's fine. I almost I almost wrote the word clout with a K on Twitter yesterday. I was like, oh, I gotta <laughs> I gotta stop doing that. Like, hey yeah. kids, <laughs> hey kids. Um, that on a, on a side note, then I want to come back to your question. On side note, I was talking to my business coach yesterday, and he's like, Gridley, how many how many people? older than you do you spend time with every day i was like i think the oldest people i work closely with are like five years older than me like just barely Mm -hmm. boomers. and uh he's like you need to go figure out how to hang out with some 70 year olds i was like (laughs) some good coaching (laughs) so country club i was like oh great just what i don't need Just what I don't need. Um, so anyway, okay, so back to your question about opportunity cost of a side project like that. So people underestimate the value that they get from doing random stuff, right? And that's kind of like the Twitter thesis. Like people way underestimate the serendipity of publishing content on there and all that kind of stuff. The um the second thing is I think people way underestimate how much like you, you they basically look at something like that and they say, Okay, here's how much time and money it's costing me. Like that's a pretty straightforward, easy analysis. What they're not really, really recognizing when they think of something like that is there's a big opportunity cost of personal and mental energy, right? So that creative time that you're spending on hold co or, um, thinking about, you know, aspects of how to make that better. Like you only, in my opinion, have a finite amount of like work energy that you can deploy each week, right? And mm-hmm. that battery that you have in your body and that is a bigger cost than what m- most people think. So even though something might be for example 5% of your time and may be break even for you, the amount of mental energy you're spending in it, people really underestimate how much that's costing them. So, you know, when I hear about stuff like this, I'm like, "Oh, don't just reflect on like how much like the very like very clear KPIs of this thing are, like money and other stuff you could be working, but also how much of your finite, most finite resources, which is your mental energy and your creative energy, are you sapping by working on something that may or may not be, you know, below kind of your bar. I'm going very chum off here <laughs> in terms of below yeah. your bar yeah. of of things that, you know, make sense or don't make sense. So those are two things I think about it. It look, in the end, like they're doing something like that, I think avoids the biggest mistake of all, which is just not doing stuff. Like, much better to be erring mm-hmm. on, erring on the side of just going out and making stuff happen and then quitting it when it doesn't work. Like, I think that's great. So, that'd be my two cents on it. Like, go go, go stir some shit up and see what happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I've i always probably leaned, my my outward persona is we roll up home service companies, right? That's like what we're known for. Um, okay. But we've, are constantly experimenting with a bunch of other stuff. And I ask myself the same question all the time, which is, is this worth my time? Um, yeah. And and even if it's not worth my time, is it just going to be fun? Because a lot of times things are not worth my time, but it's kind of fun. Like right now, yep. I'm, we're thinking about launching a home service company that I don't need, I don't want, and it's going to complicate my life. But it would make really interesting content. <laughs> and then I think I'm just going to give it away to somebody after like half a year, just to sort of see if I can do it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that'd be interesting, but like, is it a good use of my time? Probably not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it'd be fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of the challenges that, I mean, I think you're getting there in life, right? You're starting to scale your business. You're starting to scale your aspirations as well. And it's a continual battle to be like, oh, like I shouldn't be doing this, right? Or Or this is just not interesting to me. And the frustrating thing about it in parallel is almost like the more experience you develop and the more resources you develop, the more those kind of just like easy Mm -hmm. money, but costly in mental energy or time kind of things come at you, right? And it's courses are one of those things where it's just like, well, you know, okay, this could be a good amount of money to you 15 years ago, but to you today, it's a net negative based on your hourly wage, right? And that's one of the things like my business coaches really you know, focus me on is like okay. Define what your hourly hour is worth, and then like figure out like are you working on something that is worth more or less or doesn't count towards that bucket, right? Which is fun. Like you're yeah. doing something that's fun, yeah. Um, and it's it it's a continual battle. It's like yeah, because I'm like well, oh I, look at that totally. free money. I,
1: I went we went through the same thing with like hold Co-Conf, where it's like okay if we if we net out 140 or 150 total split it between the partners um how much time did i actually put in it what what was my true hourly and what was the you know why am i focusing on this which is a six-figure uh business which again yeah like 10 years ago that would have been amazing um but over here like (laughs) we have a very large company that needs other you know needs more activity but i don't know i i still think the content specifically like the podcast the newsletter the all this random stuff that we're doing in in our media one it gives me a ton of energy i just like it i think it's fun it's creative it's an outlet yeah. and also it is we're like taking most of those lessons that we've learned which previously i did not understand media i didn't understand content distribution i didn't understand any of that and we're taking all of those lessons learned and slamming them right back into our primary companies. So we're going on to this, we're, we have this new campaign launching um, right now because we're, like, we're in integration mode, so we're combining a couple brands. It's a whole thing. And um, we're using basically all the lessons that we learned from distributing the podcast and newsletter and growing our media into this, which is going to be awesome. Um, so I, I'm, I'm finding that too, that we're just, we're getting benefits for the actual business out of these random curiosities yeah. that I'm following.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I think that what you're hitting on is what I've observed. And when people ask me like why do you invest time in producing content or like being out there and stuff, it's because it like it's an accelerator or like a lubricant to the flywheel, right? Of what you do every day. And that's like sometimes you do things better. Sometimes like somebody comes in and helps you and you didn't know you needed help. Like all of that is this kind of thing. The second thing that I want to tell you, um, is we had uh the um Johnny Robinson, the Squeegee God, on the podcast we recorded, recorded I think yesterday or the day before, but he started talking about how, like, like those businesses, those home services businesses, especially as you start to get the first, second, or third like overall ranking on on Google reviews or Yelp, like he's like, yeah, once you're there and you have a number of reviews, it becomes like a license to print money. I was like, that's really interesting because I think I you know. What I think is the interesting kind of side effect of that is historically, like home services business like yours, like they didn't necessarily see economies of scale, right? They started to see diseconomies of scale because it was harder to run their business or their employees would leave and compete with them, all that kind of stuff. But like the, the days of that dynamic feel like they're changing with the digitization of how the customers are coming in. Yeah. Um, and it won't surprise me if you see more and more kind of very smart operators like you that are tech savvy and can go lock up a first or second spot mm-hmm. and creating kind of these bigger businesses where you actually do have economies of scale just because of the way customers are found.
1: Yeah. So, do buy that? I, I totally agree. And I think um, I, I've talked a lot about this. I don't remember where, <laughs> but I know we've talked a lot about it. And it, it's exactly what you described. That used to be the common story where you get to a certain size and these businesses capped out because the techs would leave, they would go start up their own thing and they would make more money. That doesn't happen anymore. Like it honestly just doesn't happen. And there's a lot of reasons for it. I think the biggest one, aside from digital, how do you actually grow the business? Like some of that stuff got easier, but the really big change is compensation. These techs, they used to leave and go make more money. Um, but now like they don't have to do that. They can just make more money working for a company with no Hmm. risk of launching a company, you know, plumbing, HVAC techs, electricians, being a talented technician is that's a license to print money too. You can go Hmm. anywhere, make a God awful amount of money, like six figures often in, in your twenties, uh, with a few years of experience, no college debt. And, uh, so why, why go through the hassle? of starting a business. You can just make a lot for an existing company. And that, that dynamic didn't
0: exist a decade ago. That's because they are, they're able to make more money because you guys are paying them more or because it's harder to start a business or both.
1: I think both. So, um, I I think there's a lot of factors there, but if we look at the industry in general, uh, it it was formerly a bunch of technicians that became owners, uh, and then those owners grew their businesses. Average business size of maybe like ten to fifteen people, three to four million dollars in revenue. That was like the normal business size around Akron, Cleveland, and like most yep. of the places. I'm sure it was a little bit bigger in Dallas, uh, but not significantly. You know, a twenty million dollar home service company a decade ago was like, oh my god. That's insane, whereas now there's you know billion dollar home service companies um, so a lot of the boomers are starting to retire, the companies are getting sold, they're getting combined um, so just companies are becoming bigger in general, uh, so more market share, higher google reviews and and frankly just more money to spend on advertising um, like we we spend more in advertising uh, a month than some of our competitors make in a year, like top line revenue, uh, Hmm. especially these starting guys. Like, I don't even know how you begin to compete against someone like us. We're just too big. Um, and that same thing didn't exist. So, so definitely the marketing thing, the reviews, all that stuff. Uh, but the, just the drain of technicians, you know, in 2009, the industry went belly up with the housing market and there was just a huge drain of talent. Because they went to find maintenance jobs or they retired or, or whatever it was, but they got out of the industry because there was no jobs. So now a decade later, we're like, hey, you know, where's all the talent? It's like it left a decade ago <laughs> when there was no jobs. Yeah. Um, so you know, maybe we have half of the talent that we had 10 years ago uh, currently in the industry. So businesses are able to charge more because there's just less. We have higher market share. Um So instead of the you know hundreds of plumbing companies in your area, maybe there's four giant ones that's that's what it is around here we're yeah. We're the second largest in Akron and Cleveland. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack, but a lot of its aging workforce, people not coming in. two thousand and nine really broke the industry. People just left yeah um and then you can you combine can boomers retiring and just a lot of money pouring in for consolidation. And, you sort of get this perfect storm of we need the techs, um, they can go make a lot of money at any of these other big shops. So why go start your own company? Why take the risk?
0: So do you, do you think the window is still open to keep rolling up those those businesses, or do you think that PE and folks like that have come in enough now that there's? Because I know like Xavier and his company, like Enduring Ventures, are like rolling up. And buying, you know, plumbing and HVAC companies. Like, is that is that window has that closed or do you think it's continued to to open? And how do you think about that opportunity? I think about it often. <laughs> <laughs> I I think um I think the window is
1: if if it's not closed on what I would say is like a sustainable-sized business, so a million and and earnings and up, uh, it's closing in the next couple months. You know, if someone was gonna sell they would have sold in the last two years since private equity got this active. And even before private equity got as like totally nuts as they are right now, mm-hmm. they've still been in the space since like 2015. Um, you know, there's a couple of billion dollar rollups out there like a uh, wrench group and ARS has been buying up like crazy. So there's probably three or four sort of billion dollar rollups and then a bunch of them getting close. So if you were big, and you were close to retirement, you would have already sold or you're about to sell. Um, mm-hmm. There's still a lot of room in the subscale market, which is where we tend to shop. So 250 to 750 in earnings. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of those companies, just a lot of them. And and they're, a lot of those owners are still like you know retiring every day. So if you're willing to deal with the mess oh. of small companies- That's the problem? That's the
0: problem. That's why the big shops aren't buying them?
1: Yeah, I mean- yeah, you know, I'm sh- I'm sure you've if you've seen them or you've talked <laughs> talked about them on Acquisitions Anonymous, uh. But yeah, these tiny companies—they have no process, they have no leadership. They're very used to owner day to day, um. So it's a
0: it's a it's a mess. Very small level of professionalism. I mean, you, you see that also in other businesses, right? Like one thing I learned was. How the difference between a sub one million dollar revenue software company is radically different than a sub two million dollar one. And that's radically different than a sub three and a half million dollar one. Yeah. Like there's different things that have changed at each of those. And like I think the market, at least in software, way under penalizes the tiny ones. Right. Yeah. Because like sub two million in top line revenue for software, it basically becomes impossible to hire professional management. Like you're right. just not big enough. You have you have to hire you you at the same time you can't afford somebody that's like really really good and because those they're going to cost you a lot but you can't pay one person fifteen or twenty percent of your top line revenue to be that good right mm-hmm. so you end up with this like weird this weird Venn diagram where like the circle of who you can hire and who you need is like they can't match when they're too small yeah and it becomes really painful and we but, we have the same issue
1: uh, yeah you know but for us it's like. One and a half, three, and five. So those are the different. Right. Because at each of those plateaus, you know, there's a different level of leadership, different level of earnings. Yep. But yeah, same I wonder thing. If running
0: a software company is harder than running a plumbing company. Like, do you need, is it harder to hire for that like senior level role? And I'm not trying to insult you with this, but I'm just like, oh, like, I honestly the don't know. Yeah, it's a person that costs 80 grand equivalent to 150 grand person in the software world just because you know they're they're inflated salaries in in that tech business.
1: Yeah, it seems like if if I had to pick one, you know, little partial here. But uh I think the advantage of I would say software is harder and and that's from never being in software. Just because I think <laughs> you know, so so my opinion is super valuable. Yeah. But the just having to compete with the level of sound, like we have to compete we have to compete for tax and that it's totally real but labor does exist in the marketplace we can afford it and we can also train it relatively easily mm-hmm. and i don't think that software has any of those three advantages like there doesn't so- seem to hardly be any labor it's really hard to afford and i don't know how to train and it maybe boot camps but those don't seem to be super effective
0: yeah. Well, I think you're talking about a lot of the very technical people. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of other non engineering roles that are super hard to come by, right? The number of people that have been CEOs of software companies or general managers for software products, like, there's not enough of those people either. Like, mm. you can't find them. Product managers, um, sales engineers, like, they just don't exist. They're just, they're every, everything top to bottom has um, salespeople, everything top to bottom has a labor shortage. Um, in those things. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the engineer, like, the engineer to tech equivalent is for sure. You know, I totally dig that and what you're saying. But like, I was also talking about like the GM of one of your businesses to the equivalent size of a GM of a software product. Like, like... I, you know, I'm curious. I I don't know. Maybe I should own a plumbing company. I'll get it. I'll I'll come back and report.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That one, one, you should just, it'd be, you know, good content. Right. But, um, (laughs) on, on the leadership side, I would say that we basically have the same struggle, uh, because leadership, especially with the size we're buying to effectively run these companies, you have to hire rock stars and there's not many of them in the industry. And the ones that are in the industry um, there, if someone's been a GM or a CEO of, uh, man, how do I want to say this? The industry has changed so rapidly that if you were a GM yep. five years ago in a plumbing or HVAC business, that is irrelevant to anything that's going on in this industry right now. Right. Like the software has changed, how, how, like the generations of texts, like, you know, now it's a uh, millennial is average in our company. So um it's just a different thing so i we can't find them <laughs> i don't know if yeah. they exist but we can't find them we have to grow yeah. our own
0: yeah i don't know the right answer i do know part of the problem is there's not enough gen xers around that's as a gen xer that's what i think yeah i do it's <laughs> so. easily easily the biggest problem that we're well that we're facing <laughs> I, I used to when i i mean i, mean, I remember being like Five years ago, I was forty-two, and I'd be like, "Okay, you know what I really need? I need like a mid a mid career professional here, somebody that's like got twenty years of experience, has led some people, and they're just ready to take the next step." And you go out, and you either got a thirty-two year old millennial, yeah, uh, or a sixty-two year old boomer. Those are the only yeah. people out on the market, um, because all the the middle age people, like, there just weren't that many of us. Like, yeah. there weren't that many born, and there aren't that many in the workforce. Like, they just aren't out there. I, I've uh, never thought about that.
1: But yeah. we we have the same problem. So we've been hiring for um like bigger roles in the company recently mm-hmm. and we had the same issue. Actually, we d- we just didn't get the 30-year-olds. Uh it was yeah. like a uh, director of finance controller we're hiring GMs and the only people that are showing up to interviews are they're like they're on they're on sort of the last mile of their career. And it's yeah. not meant to be mean, yeah. but many of them are in their 60s. Um yeah. which is great, but like I I don't think you would thrive in this environment. So, no. yeah, we've really struggled. I assumed that was just Akron. So I'm glad to know that it's not just Akron.
0: Uh, at least here in Flyover America, it's the same thing. You know, and I've done nationwide searches for roles, and you end up with a very barbell shaped distribution. You know, I was born in 1975, which is the lowest birth rate year uh, since World War II. So that's why there are not a lot of 47 year olds running around comparatively. You're like, where yeah. are they? It's like there's just not that many of us. Like we're, you know, we're we're shrunk down as a percentage relative to the younger and older generation. It's pretty fascinating.
1: That is really well I fascinating. did want to ask
0: you about one other thing, which uh is med spa's. And hopefully we can talk about med spa's because a couple things happened. Um, Heather, uh, from Livo came on our podcast and I asked her what was hot in MA right now. And she said med spas, med spas did great in COVID. Um, and then so you asked about med spas. So what's what's your deal with med spas? Are you going to open up a med spa? Should I get my brows waxed at your med spa or how does that work?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> yes to both. Um, I just think med spas are dope. All right. So yeah. if, if we're looking. If we're looking at, like, I have a I have a type of business that I like, <laughs> and it's not just ones that deal with poop. They, they tend to be, like, what is pretty durable? What is price elastic? Like, what can we just raise prices on? People are going to keep doing. And what is going to handle well in nearly any economic environment? Yeah. This is where I usually lose people with med spas, is that last one. <laughs> um yeah. But... So like all of our businesses, that that was really most of why I started buying more plumbing companies Was I was like, ah, if you buy service, you know, toilets always need to flush and you always need hot water and like septic, like it has to get pumped. There's no option. The county will shut your house down. So we really like businesses that do well in uh, bad environments. So uh, I've thought about a lot of things over the years that fit that mold, like hair cutting, I thought would be sweet. And then, you know, COVID sort of, Prove that wrong, I guess. But besides that, like, you know, haircutting, I always liked a uh, low average ticket though. So I didn't like that part, but med spas seem to be that magic. Like, Hey, if you're getting Botox, like you don't stop getting Botox. Like that, yeah. that is a one way street. Um, and w- we're more on zoom than ever. We're more on yeah. social media than ever. Our faces are more like in a microscope than, than ever before. Like beauty businesses are only going to continue to get better. And, and, and back to the Botox or waxing or whatever, that's a one way street. Like I know plenty of people that are in their thirties, they've started Botox because apparently that's the time to start it and they're not going to stop until they're 80 and they're going to sacrifice to keep that Botox going because that's their confidence. That's how they look. That's like, it matters. It's real. So yeah, I'm passionate about med spas. <laughs> I think they're sweet. It it sounds awesome. So when are you going to open one? Well, so my when I first like threw it up on Twitter, my buddy actually is. Uh, he's my cousin, and he lives down in San Antonio. And I connected with you, and I appreciated the connections you gave me. Um, so his wife is a oh, what is it? Physician's assistant. It's the thing where you okay. can still do your own practice. That might be the yeah. wrong term. So I'm really sorry for all the you know medical people <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but it's like you're right under a doctor. You can open your own practice. Blah blah blah. So she, uh, she's getting ready to open her own thing. She's been working at med spas for like five or six years, and like she's taken her, she's taken her, uh, taking her talents to her own thing. So I'm like, hell yeah, this is great. I want to watch this work. And then I'm going to try to figure out how to do right. it up here. I have to find that physician's assistant. Sti- like, do you know what the title is that for this role?
0: For a, a, a statistician?
1: Nah, it's like a nurse. Oh, nurse practitioner. Maybe that's it. I, I don't remember. Okay. Anyways, you have to have a specific, it's either a doctor or this specific medical designation. And then you can go, you know, run a med spa, I guess. Uh, so I have to find one of those around here. Then I think I'm, it's
0: yeah. Who can operate a med spa? Physicians, physicians' assistants, registered nurses, and licensed aestheticians okay. perform almost every service at a med spa. There's there's a the physician list. Physician manages the medical spa but is not required to be on site.
1: Yeah. So yeah, med spas I just think are really interesting. It's super high average ticket, super high yep. gross profits. Um, it's a one way street. And cash if you pay. cash pay, yeah, you don't have to deal with insurance. Um, Super sticky customers, like, you know, if, if someone's going to stick a needle or allow you to stick a needle in their head, they're probably going to continue allowing that same person to put a needle in their head. I wouldn't want to switch that. Um, Like, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, I just like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Yeah, so that's me and MedSpot. So, so I just have to find a physician's assistant. So if you're listening. Located in Akron and Cleveland and are okay with me having control, like dictator level control ownership over a company that you help me run, then let's do this.
0: That's awesome. All right. That's a good that's a good ask. And then uh so when is the hold code conf? You have what's the exact date for that? It is July twenty fourth to the twenty-sixth. It's definitely July because it's during my family reunion, which is why I can't go. But um, I I look forward to going to the 2.0 version when you guys move it to a more sane month. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll...
0: um, I think we want to keep it in Cleveland. So let me give you a quick... I think that's great. Don't don't put it in Austin like everybody else is doing. Yeah. Dear Lord, I don't need to go there again.
1: I kind of like what Brent does. I think it's hilarious. He's like, hey, I'm going to throw a really good party... And I'm going to force you to come to the middle of absolutely nowhere. And you and I both know you're going to come. <laughs> so yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping Why to do the, the same man? thing.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's it's part of the genius of conferences, right? Is that, you know, you charge more and the attendees get better, right? Oh, I've, yeah. I've been invited to conferences before and they're like, okay, it'll be 800 bucks. I'm like, I'm not coming. It's yeah. too cheap. And yeah. like, are you kidding me? It's too cheap. I'm like, Yes. Like, yeah. um, or I've been asked to like the local business journal one time asked me to join like a peer group and they're like, okay, well, we're going to make it very affordable. It's a hundred dollars a month. And I'm like, I'm not being part of that. Like not coming. Yeah. Waste of time. Like, Because, because at this point in life, like I know enough people, I don't need to know more people that can afford a hundred dollars a month. I need to know more people who are off doing cool stuff. And those are people that can afford something more. And that's yeah. a very elitist way of describing it. But at a certain point, that's just the truth of life. No, I, right? I, like, I totally
1: yeah. agree. Like we, we took the same model with Holdco. We, we didn't feel like we could launch straight off the rip with like capital camp level pricing because we're still unproven, yeah. right? but um, yeah, the hope is that we escalate the pricing and make it a premium experience because we like' we're, the people that are on the guest list are running 50 and 100 million dollar companies, and yeah. in order to keep that, it has to be interesting, it has to be good, and you have to charge enough for yeah. it so i I totally
0: agree I love it. Well, man, thanks for being here. This was awesome. And uh, so holdcoconf is uh, what's, it's holdcoconf.com or .com? Yep,
1: holdcoconf.com And it's July 24th to the 26th in Cleveland. Looking forward to people coming. Yeah. And then you're on Twitter
0: at Wilson Companies, at yep. Wilson Companies, right? At Wilson there Companies. Check Maybe me out. just changed my to at Girdley Companies. Awesome, mm-hmm. man. Well, thanks for being here. Good to talk as always. Learned a lot. So
1: appreciate it. Thank you.